Welcome to episode 54 of Coffee and Contemplation with Susan. Hello, I'm Susan Dunlop. If this is the first time you've tuned in, I'm very grateful for your presence. And if you've been with me before, I truly appreciate your coming back. Today's guest is Donna Zajon from the US, whom I'll welcome in in just a moment. Donna is currently riding the early waves of her long-awaited book launch, getting her beautifully crafted words out to the world of coaches like myself. I know Donna as the co-founder of the Centre for the Empowerment Dynamic, partnering with David Emerald, who is the best-selling author of books The Power of Ted and The Three Vital Questions. How this work came about is David had an epiphany one day that led him to creating TED, which is the antidote to the dreaded drama triangle, and we're going to talk lightly on that today so that I get some context around what we're discussing in Donna's book. One day he told Donna about his epiphany, and Donna, embodying all the roles of TED, which is the empowerment dynamic, enthusiastically supported David to get TED and later the three vital questions out to the world, and they're still doing it and it's growing strongly. I met David and Donna in studying and becoming certified as a trainer in their work last year. Donna's passion or ministry, as she calls it, to deliver and expand the work of the Centre for the Empowerment Dynamic to the world for individuals, communities, huge workplaces, small workplaces, everyone, just for the greater good, basically. Donna this year added the icing to the cake by getting her book out to the world. And so we we're going to really talk about that. The book is called, Who Do You Want to Be on the Way to What You Want? I've listened to it on audio and I've read it and it's it feels like a gift to read. It's a gift to each of us and most definitely any coach would be really worth reading it. And the trainers at TED, you know, we, we've all embraced it. It creates a ripple effect. It impacts you. It's that coaching yourself first, which every coach really does do in their journey into coaching over the first few five years even. And then the ripple effect of that becomes a gift that we keep on giving because you know what we take in, we obviously then can give out to the world more authentically. So how magic a formula is that for a book? I'm going to welcome Donna now. So welcome, Donna. I'm really looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah, Susan, thank you. I loved listening to you as you were describing um, the gift. Uh, thank you. And yes, let's jump in. I'm uh, really excited to be here also. Wonderful. Okay, so Donna, what I was thinking, so we are going to have a little bit of a deep dive into your book and how it originated and the, the title of the book, which is a coaching question in itself. But before that, because there is the basis of the dreaded drama triangle, which we can cover and also Ted, the antidote. And I think in the the idea that you, you have produced a book and for what the audience often uh, listens to and other people, there's that inner critic and what your work does cover does really go into this inner critic work. So shall we go there first? Mm. I think that's a good place to start and I especially want to highlight the reference to being a coach. Yes, you're a professional coach. I've been a professional coach for 20 years now. And the listeners who are not coaches, we want to invite you into the conversation as a, that all of us have an inner coach. All of us have a part of us that has a wise guidance system. And in this book and in our conversation, we're going to be highlighting, Susan, don't you think? We're, that's really what we want to highlight is how do we access and claim and discover as we hear our inner critic, we can also hear our inner coach. So that's that's where I hope that uh, your readers, your listeners will take away. And so to your question about the drama triangle, what is it? Hmm. Well, in the late 60s, a doctor in the West Coast, Dr. Stephen Cartman, named, I think his gift to the world is that he named that there when we get uncomfortable as human beings, there's three primary ways we behave as human beings to manage the anxiety we feel when we're in conflict, whether in conflict with ourselves or conflict with what we don't like. It's raining today, so that's a conflict in itself or a conflict with another person. Whenever we don't like something, there's three primary strategies. And what he said was the first one is that we, we disengage we start saying, oh, it's not the way I want things. 
And he called that the victim consciousness. We, we feel a victim to whatever it is we don't like. So the second role he named was the persecutor. And the persecutor is that problem, what it is we don't like. And in this case, we tend to lean against and try to take control and manage things. So the, when we feel victim-y, we disengage and say, oh, poor me. When we're in that persecutor, we say, hey, people better listen to me and do what I want. And then when that gets engaged, there's a third role, Dr. Cartman said, <clears throat> gets engaged, and that's the rescuer. The rescuer leans in and says, oh, let me help. I don't like conflict, so if you'll take my suggestions, you two, that victim and that persecutor, everything will be okay, or just let me do it for you. So those are the three main roles that make up what Dr. Cartman calls the drama triangle. Now, in our work, we've renamed it the dreaded drama triangle, or DDT for short. Does all this resonate with you? Yes. <laughs> yes, very toxic. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we call it toxic, the DDT. Yes. Well, what David's epiphany was is that, you know, that part of us is the part that is in conflict and is heavier emotions. All three of those roles evoke not our best self. And we also, all human beings, have this natural higher best self. And what he named was the roles, or we call them sometimes the antidotes to the dreaded drama triangle roles. So the opposite is victim is called the creator. The part of us that creates what we want, the opposite to the persecutor David named is the challenger. So we still lean in and want to get things done. We become a truth teller though, rather than putting down and taking charge and controlling others, we start asking ourselves, what's here to learn? What's here for you to learn or our team to learn? How can we grow and be our best self? So we can say a lot more about that challenger in just a moment, but that's the best side of it. It's our will to want to do good. Mm -hmm. Now, what's the opposite of the rescuer? Well, this is where it's fascinating. And I think David really did a wonderful job here. He named this part of us, this helper part of us that wants to help, the coach. But instead of taking charge and fixing others and overstepping our boundaries when it isn't ours to do, now we learn to coach. We now learn to ask questions. We're still supportive, but we don't do for others what is theirs to do for themselves. And that's where this inner coach that we could talk about here today that uh, we could really activate and rather than rescuing we can coach ourselves we can coach others yes and as you said it's not about being a professional coach it's being the coach in the leader that you are in any role that you play in life isn't it it's taking that role into your heart in terms of you know supporting what you do want not what you don't want isn't that key mm. to know more about what we do want than to focus on what we don't want. You know, yeah. when I'm stuck in the DDT, I'm racing around those three drama triangle roles. And every time I wake up and hear myself talking, observing what I'm doing, I'm focusing on a problem. I'm focusing on the anxiety or the heavy emotions I feel about that problem. And I react in some way to manage that anxiety. Those are, it's all common to all three of those roles, which is the exact opposite for the foundation of the empowerment dynamic roles, isn't it? What do you, what do you focus on, Susan, when, when you know you're fully living in the TED roles? And by the way, that new triangle we call TED because it stands for the empowerment dynamic. I think what I focus on, and I'm quite visual, is I picture when I'm in that mode, it's almost like you know, if you've got both your hands out as if there were scales to each side of you. When I'm looking at the empowerment dynamic roles, that the hand that that Ted is sitting on lifts and I'm looking upwards to what I do want. And mm -hmm. I've got more vision, I've got clarity, probably a little bit more bravery in me just to keep on being okay with walking forward because I intuitively know it is what I do want or what's good for me or is going to bring good um, so that sort of goes up we're down in the drama triangle that sort of 
that hand drops in the heaviness of it. Mm-hmm. And then goes sort of a look down and it is a problem. And what I'm aware, though, with what you're saying, Donna, and even though you have been doing this work a really long time, is you talk about being in the drama triangle. I know I can talk about being in the drama triangle. It's not like it's a bad thing to be there, is it? Uh, not at all, if unless we're asleep to it. Yes. And if we're racing around those roles, being reactive, problem focused, being anxious all day long, we're the badness that you're speaking about is that it's going to drain our energy. We're going to be less than our best selves. And how we relate to ourselves are going to be one of more anxiety, more stress, more frustration. And then how do we relate to others when we're already in a relationship with ourselves? that is stressful, that is judgmental. And that's what activates that inner critic. We start talking to ourselves in a way that is very detrimental. Mm. So in that sense, I'd say it might be bad in that it's draining our energy. It's not helping us be our best. And then it's not at all supporting us to be in relationships that are based upon goodness, love and appreciation. Hmm. Uh, it's that space in between, isn't it? So it's becoming the, the awareness of it or conscious of it so that you can just pick yourself up for when you're doing it. Uh, so what I've found with the drama triangle roles, if you have found yourself in them and you, you, you get caught in that space and you keep on spinning through that, there's a lot of fixing to be done after you've done that because you've got to say, okay, well, I'm not rescuing you anymore and you can actually have hurt someone by having rescued them. And so wasted time, wasted energy, where you could have not had that wasted time and energy in the creator space. Yes. Well, you just said a lot there in, in the terms of, the, <laughs> of how it happens, how we get stuck, how it operates, and then the consequences. Um, the first thing I, I would say, Susan, and, and I know we've talked about this, is, is that once we become aware of what Dr. Cartman named and pointed out to us, is that to really understand as coaches and facilitators to help normalize this behavior. And what do we mean by normalize? Is that one of the reasons why people hear this description of these roles and seem to have such an immediate understanding of what we're talking about is because we say often that they're archetypal, meaning that they're universal ways human beings respond to conflict, things we don't want and don't like. And to normalize it, most I, I find people have two responses. They go, oh my gosh, I do that all the time. Oh, what you just said to me is so familiar. That's half of what I hear. And then the other half is, okay, well, now I know that. How do I stop it? And if I can't stop it, they say, later in another conversation, Donna, this is actually making things worse because now I see it all day long, but I don't seem to be able to do anything about it. Yeah. Yeah. So those first epiphanies is so essential to normalize, to say, wow, what a gift to know that all human beings do this. It's not just you. And it's universal in that we could start to have some compassion for ourselves as human beings. Yeah, I'm really noticing because we're on video here. We can see each other. You're nodding your head. Compassion's a big deal here, isn't it? It is. It's, it's such a big deal. And I think that's the shift that I've seen in it. I said it is such an important lesson to learn that, you know, people can look at a oh, triangle, triangle, you know, it's a big deal. Yeah, oh, oh, yeah, okay, I'll do that. But I, I don't know that it's going to be that hard to become this you know, Ted version of me. But, gosh, it takes work and it is so worth the work and that the compassion, the self-compassion mm-hmm. that you have to go through because it has been with us all our lives mostly. That is what I became aware of is why I was really interested and I said to my husband, Tom, said, I need to not just read the book, I am going to deep dive into this uh, work for myself first because it was just the way that a dysfunctional families definitely rotate around that, you know, all through your childhood. It hits you at all different types of levels and depths. So it is this is amazing work. That's another reason why I, I so appreciate this work is, is that it's both a very quick read to understand, like if you're on the highway and some 
speeding motorist just cuts right in front of you. You immediately want to say nasty things and persecute them and, and, and look for the rescuer down the road, the police officer that might pull them over. You know, you, so you can see it happening in everyday moments so quickly. Yes. But you also can see it in very profound lifelong patterns mm. uh, that can help enlighten how you've responded to something uh, in your life. So it's a wonderful framework when you can apply a framework like the drama triangle and the Ted rolls to everyday situations, as well as very big emotional, bigger situations. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what we say, meet people where they are. And before we go on, I want to make one important point, And that is the difference between victimhood and victimization. So, Everyone is victimized from time to time. That driver is, in a way, victimized by someone speeding. Um, we're victimized by storms, by poverty, systemic victimization. We're victimized by a health issue, uh, by the pandemic. That's not what we're talking about here, because we all have those moments. Mm. What we're talking about is victimhood an identity that we take on in response to life. And that's a big difference, isn't it, Susan? It's huge, yes. And that's um, it's, it's the roles we play. It, the choice we still have yes. to yeah. respond to whatever is out there that does happen to mm -hmm. us. It's still, we're always at choice, aren't we? Yes. About yeah. how we respond. But we're not at choice if we're not aware of our automatic habits that respond to something without thinking about it. And that's why, again, I love the drama triangle and Ted rolls because they help our inner observer to wake up. What do we, what do we mean by that inner observer? It's, it's the part of us that can witness and notice. And when we wake that part of us up by just simply noticing and naming, wow, something just happened. My husband just said something to me and I just noticed I got a real tightness in my gut. Hmm, I wonder what that's about. And we start back ending into, did I just feel persecuted by what he just said? Or, hmm, or do I feel powerless? So the roles, when we can apply them, can help us dissect, if you will, mm. what is occurring in the moment. And when we can do that, that observer wakes up and we are now able to be a choice. Yes, and that's where I think the tools in your book um, in relation to them being coaching tools and, as you said, coaching in terms of being a coach in everyday life, mm. uh, they are, they will help with that space between and that sitting and naming it. I've done that a lot lately. I think, oh, hold on, what is that feeling that I'm feeling right now? And just sat with a cup of tea and thought, okay, so, and you feel a bit odd doing it sometimes. You think, really? You're going to dissect this? <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's so worth it and you do yeah. you can you can start to see the inklings of that honesty within yourself coming to the surface going oh no that's interesting that you're doing that but you're making it about you and it's not really about you or even that becoming conscious of what you know another person's going through as you get on the screen with them and mm. you know you might think oh I know I'm not feeling like I'm part of this at the moment but you think gosh someone else is going through something really big today and you've got to respect what they're going through as well. Well, we certainly do. And that's what we more and more, don't we, as human beings, we really want a heart heart connection if we mm. can get out of ourselves. And that's why, again, I love this work because it helps us to observe what's really going on and wake us up. You know, you said something really interesting. Uh, do I really want to reflect upon this? Or uh, maybe you said ruminate. Now I don't know. But what it made me think of is the difference between reflecting and ruminating. You know, when I ruminate on something, it's my thoughts just circling, going over and over and over. What I've noticed about when I have an experience of reflecting is that I'm learning about an emotional response. I'm learning about something that is larger than myself that's guiding me. And it's not a repetitive circling over and over and over again like ruminating can be. And, and so I believe that's really important to yes. uh, reflect for the purpose of seeing and learning. And as we do that, we can hopefully let go, let go of patterns that have kept us stuck. If the intent is still towards what you do want or what your vision is, 
generally there's a inner smile comes out of doing that type of work. Oh, I love that inner smile. And where does that come from? And for me personally, and those that I've coached, I think that inner smile comes from shifting our focus on what we do want. And that is the creator essence in Mm. that it is so common for everyone, all human beings, because of our default tendency to focus on problems and what we don't like and the anxiety we feel about those problems. That's what activates our inner persecutor. We start saying things. I mean, I could say, share a couple of things that I know I say very, very common is why didn't I figure this out? Why don't I know how to do this? How come somebody else knows how to do this and I don't? You know, get into really nasty comparisons. I don't know if you're willing to share your inner critic and what you say to yourself. I've had one and it was well-seeded early on in life, but it was, um, you know, who does she think she is and she hasn't got a dinner. So that was an external comment to me, but I hear myself say that and it was interesting in reading your book it was like an the hypnotic language of your book which we'll talk about soon it made me realize that my i call her my mean girl she's a mean girl inside me (laughs) she's just there with a cigarette going you know (laughs) she's like i told you you didn't have it in you you know i think oh (laughs) oh i know that you're laughing about it now I can see her. I see her. She sits and, and in my, my own book that I've written, you know, it's in drafts to, still in editing process, but she's got old and she's, yeah, she's just got, you know, the, the cigarettes just dripping out of her mouth now and, you know, she's had a day really. <laughs> oh, my goodness. So uh, the laughter, though, is part of the lightheartedness mm-hmm. because laughter is a lighter emotion. The heart-centered emotions of joy, laughter, appreciation, kindness, love, ease, peace, harmony. Just as I say those words, it's, they're very, very heart-centered and they're lighter emotions. Mm-hmm. Literally, energetically, vibrationally, they ra- raise us up. And the triangle, the TED triangle, is an upward-facing triangle where the dreaded drama triangle is a downward facing, very delicately imbalanced on the point of the victim. And in those energy patterns are fear, worry, stress, control, anxiousness. Could you could you add a few more? I'm just, my word is just stuck in there with drama at the moment. So uh, blame. Blame. Uh, Gossip. Pr- mm-hmm. All of those words. All of those words and the vibrational state of those words are very, very slow, thick, darker, heavier energies. Mm. So what I what I was really keying in on is your lightheartedness of the way you held your story, your drama story of that inner critic (laughs) of uh, for me. When are you going to get this figured out? And for you, um, she doesn't have a dinner. She doesn't, of course, look look what you do have. But so those who are listening, you know, we might invite you to consider what might be your drama story or your deficiency story that has run a thread through a big part of your life and to hold it lightly, to know that everyone, all human beings have some aspect of this limiting story and we can hold it. We can be with it. And get curious and, frankly, laugh about it because isn't that amazing how much time we've spent allowing it to grip us? Oh, it's amazing. And, and when you do start to listen to it from that different perspective, it's like, oh, really? I think even one of my other guests, Rebecca Beck Sweller from Sexy Sobriety, she said when she talks to what she calls her inner critic, she just says, look, you know what? I've got this right now. Come back to me in 18 months. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I have a little committee meeting sometimes in my head and, and I, I name her. I usually have a name and I say, you know, would would you be okay if you just set up here on the shelf here for a few minutes? I'm going to have a conversation with my better self, my creator self, and we're going to focus more on what I do want in the situation. Thank you for your input, but it's okay for you to rest for a few minutes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It makes room. It literally when we, 
remove, I'm visual, visually got my hands in front of me and I'm picking up that inner critic and I'm setting her aside and saying, it's okay for you to be quiet for a while because I've got this. Yes. Yeah. Literally makes room for the lighter hearted creator aspect. More and more, we're really aware of the lasting impacts of trauma and a really serious, devastating, violent trauma sometimes. We're, we both know, don't we, Susan, the importance yeah. of reaching out and ask for professional help. Oh, and for sure. Absolutely. I can't imagine how many thousands of dollars I spent on therapy over my several decades. And, and there is a place where you can get with support, depending on what you're going through to be able to use these frameworks to help you on a really everyday basis. And that's what happened in the story of my book, mm. uh, the main character being Sophia. We listened to how she had this internal talk with herself and appreciated that that really spoke to you of, of how the story was written. She's obviously going through change herself and you know, I won't be a spoiler of the story, but it was really interesting to me just the, it can even come across as being quite simple what she was trying to work through, like, but it was heartfelt things that she was working through. So it speaks to any reader, you know, whatever level, that truth teller side of it. I think that was a big part to me. And I purposely wanted the readers to know that even a successful master coach like Sophia is in the story, has been, you know, she has her own wounds. She we got very attached to a particular job and and work that she wanted thinking that it was her path to be of service in the world and when that suddenly went away in a very traumatic way she had her heart broken uh, it it wasn't life-threatening but it was still something that really mattered to her so in that sense the reader hears how long she defaults into criticizing her for herself. What what did she do wrong that she lost this perfect job? And and it really is important, I think, for us to all share that no matter how good you look on the outside, how capable, how professional, we still have this inner dialogue, this inner persecutor that can arise. And the key though is listening with compassion, which we've talked about, mm -hmm. knowing that this is a common human phenomena. And then to hear what is the gift in that whisper. Is there anything that we need to pay attention to and tell the truth about maybe there is something I could have done or taken more responsibility for? So a big part of the story is learning that there is gift in our drama. We would not be reacting to a situation unless there was something we cared about. If we didn't yes. care about it, we just go, oh, whatever, and we just go on. But that's an epiphany and that's a surprise, I think, in the teaching of the story that once we get facile with observing ourselves in this drama triangle and hold a tension of resting in it and observing, we realize there is a gift on the other side of our reactivity. There is indeed. And I see that with um with my own clients that you know, they try to hold back tears or try to be brave so we can keep the conversation going. And I was just saying to them, I remember my own coach saying to me, Susan, you know, the emotions are rising for a reason. They're there. They're trying to catch your attention. You know, and I remember having to sit with that back, you know, when we were exiting our company and I was trying to juggle all these emotions. But I get my clients just to feel that, you know, that calm space. If it's okay, whatever emotions is coming up today, it's all right. But they always feel that... You know, they've taken a breath in to mm -hmm. uh, to walk into their day after our sessions mm -hmm. because of that. But it's a challenge to be willing to sit with it mm. and to be with the emotions. Most of us Westerners have been taught not to do that. We only think, if I, okay, if I just think a little harder, I can fix this. Or, yes. And so the emotions are heart-centered, body-centered. Mm. So it can be very challenging to have the patience to stay with it long enough to get information. Mm, and I'd like to ask you about that too. So there was part of what we, when we were doing our prep for this, we were talking about the pause and what did you say is how you're being in the pause. Do you see people think that, okay, I'm going to pause. Donna said to pause, right? <laughs> do, do people pause and you can see the underneath that is them sabotaging themselves still? You know what I mean? 
Yeah, well, great question. So the, the idea of when we catch ourselves going reactive, something has got our attention. The first thing I would recommend is three, at least three big breaths, really belly breaths, take at least a minute to 90 seconds, a deep, slow breath. And what that does is that calms our neurology. And once we can begin to start to unhook from the emotional reactivity by calming our body, now we become a vessel that's allowing us to observe and be with whatever just triggered us. So that's the first thing. In that pause of those deep breaths, so if I got your question is now what goes on? How do we work with that pause? And I think that is where the magic is. If we can empty our thinking, ruminating brain as much as possible and use positive emotional to fill our bodies. Gratitude, all those words we used earlier, gratitude, peace, love, appreciation, simply visualizing your heart, surrounding it with something you appreciate. That's where the inner wisdom resides that Sophia discovers. So all that can happen in a very brief pause and trusting our higher selves, trusting our creator selves will arise in that pause. But Susan, I have not found that that pause works very well at all for me if I just take it as a time to think harder about what I should have done. <laughs> it uh. will trigger the inner critic to ruminate even more. Contemplative practices help us then in the moment when we get triggered with our partner, with the, the jerk on the highway, to be able to, in three breaths, to allow us to empty and access that heart-centered inner wisdom guidance, that's going to happen sooner. We're going to catch our reactivity sooner mm. and transform it faster Yeah, if we can do those things. Well, it's a practice and yeah. calming our thoughts. It could be painting and it could be woodworking. It could be gardening. There's other ways to learn to be really present to the moment. Yes. And that's what we're doing is training our body to be calmer uh, so that the part of our brain, uh, the older part in, you know, the reptilian brain that's referred to now so often, uh, we can interrupt that constant inner critic reactivity. Um, and it goes back to being able to see it and catch it sooner before we go all the way down the rabbit hole. Mm. Once we do that, then what do we do with that pause again? And we know that there's a better place in us. There is that creator, challenger, coach. That's the coach that gets curious about, wow, just what happened? I just felt my stomach and I'm not. And the challenger who's the more of the truth teller about, well, what did I just say or do that may have added to it? That's one of many things the challenger can do for us. But the creator consistently asks, given the situation, what do I really want here? And we mm. always have a choice, even though we don't like the situation, we still have a choice about how we respond to it. Yeah. And on the external side of the creation mode, there's that creativity, which we're going to talk about a little bit around your book. As Elizabeth Gilbert said you know, in her Big Magic, I was recommended to read it after I did the first draft of my book and the editor said, Susan, you've got to release it, you know, because I was like, you know, worrying about what's next. She said, you've written these words out. You've got to let them go out to the world now. She said, now read Big Magic. I was like, okay. So I read that and I got it, felt it. Your book also goes into that space of that letting things go. And I think Sophia's had to let things go to tune into what her client, is it RJ? Yes, RJ. RJ had her own journey she was on. Yeah, very much. So um, so real quick, the story is this master coach gets a call from RJ, who is a 40s-something CEO, owner of her own construction company, quite full of herself. She sees the world in black and white terms. and But she knows she has a real problem because her team is criticizing her, terrible scores on trust. So she calls Sophia. And so over the course of uh, the dialogue and lots of twists and turns in the 
story and many other characters arise. What though I think you're referring to is, is that uh, we hear how Sophia learns to manage her internal dialogue so that she can hear consistently. She's able to talk with herself, say, this is not about me. This is about listening to my client, creating this third space, if you will, RJ space, my space, but there's another new third space. And I can listen into that and be with my client and not make it about me, how fast she should go, what she should do. That's the rescuer, persecutor, challenger when we go into behaving and responding to someone who's trying to grow and develop on their own schedule and their own time. In relation to Sophia, there's, you know, she knew that RJ had a journey to go on, help RJ by being the coach to let her find that space for herself. And that was interesting how that unfolded. Really what I think you're speaking to is how challenging our um, Sophia found in doing that. Here she'd been coaching for 20 years and she still heard herself trying to get her client to change on her schedule, the way she thought she should do it. Hmm. And if we do that with our clients, you better believe we're going to do it with people in our life that we see every day. And waking up to that is really what this coach is about. Both a professional coach with RJ, but the not professional, but coach, the coach and the empowerment dynamic is really learning to say, well, what was that like for you? What is it you think you want? You know, is there anything that you need from me so that I could support you on your journey? You know, learning those kind of go-to questions that can interrupt this uh, part of us that so wants to help other people that we step in and we start telling them what to do. And the really dirty secret here, Susan, that I had to come to grips with is that when I really stopped and pondered how I saw the other person, not just maybe my client, but maybe my children or friends, the secret really got my attention is that I had to tell the truth that I really didn't see them as capable. Mm. It was quite subtle at times and deep. And I didn't like admitting myself to, to that truth because it's a form of arrogance. I mean, when we're really rescuing, we're in an arrogant state that we know better, but I'm just trying to help, you know, we'll tell ourselves, but how do we see the other person? We see them as less than capable to do it themselves. And it may mean they fall on their face. Well, we don't like that because we get uncomfortable to see people fall on their face. You know, so justifies our overstepping our boundaries. It's a real difficult balancing act when we want to be helpful, but our helpfulness unknowingly disempowers other people. For sure. Absolutely. I'm picturing all sorts of stories in my own mind going on about that. (laughs) (laughs) Just can we go into your book? I'd love to know where the idea of your book came from Mm. and, you know, where did its title originate from? Oh, well, thank you for asking. I uh, knew for several years that I wanted to write about this uh, area of work called Coaching with the Empowerment Dynamic. And I wrote out several drafts in kind of a business-like book format. And I kept uh, inquiring every once in a while with the editor that uh, I used for a book I wrote 20 years ago and was also the editor for the Empowerment, for Power of Ted, David's book. And every time I talked to her, I went away and she basically said this, "Ah, Donna, it's not there yet. You know, yeah, it's just not quite there yet. You know, right timing. So because the first two books, David's books, are stories, um, when I decided to write a story, I knew I wanted more feminine energy in the story. The other books, mainly characters are are men. And once I realized, okay, write about myself. I'm a coach and um, started naming the characters. I'll tell you, Susan, I went for walks on, I, I live on an island off of downtown Seattle on the west coast of the USA, the character started talking to me. Uh, it was just great fun. And about that time, the pandemic hit. And I got off the road, wasn't traveling as much. And so it was really a gift of timing. 
of uh, trusting myself that a story wanted to come through and a story that would be big enough, compelling enough, almost a novel like reading that I could teach these frameworks that we're talking about through a conversation one coach is having with her client. And so when I got clear about the vision, it really started taking off. So yeah. that's how it got started. I'll tell you about the, the name in just a moment, but um, I don't know what comes up for you as you listen to that, as how I got going, since you've written a book too. Yeah, and I must say my first draft of my book was very matter-of-fact get all the facts out there as well and it was quite firm and um and I was doing it with support you know with um because it is steeped in a bit of trauma but I I had actually a therapist helping with it she says Susan put it away it's time to put it away Mm -hmm. and I said okay all right and I'm so grateful I didn't publish it as I had what it's evolved to and what I've learned about myself in the journey of writing that's incredible gift to give to yourself and there's no speeding through it you know, it's okay that you haven't done it two years ago. It's okay that you're taking another two years because what the words are coming out on the page now is that more authentic who you are. The thing is you've got to actually get it out at some stage because you keep changing and you keep evolving and you'll never get it printed. <laughs> well, you recognize that. You know, so I hired an editor on a monthly basis and I didn't want to keep writing the checks and so I finally had to say, okay, it's done. <laughs> a lot when I didn't when I realized no more no more of these fairly significant checks every month yes yes just you've got to as I said as in you know Elizabeth Gilbert's big magic you got to release it to the world and yes. just just see where it, it goes and you have released it to the world and it, it is written yes. beautifully and there's I mean we'll talk about the title but there is an element of magic to it in the mm-hmm. way you've written it and I know I've studied hypnosis and I know to me, it's almost got that hypnotic language you've used in there. The metaphors obviously are, but it's got that sort of hypnotic tone to the way it's written. And I don't know, it's maybe because I'm, I'm reading it at night and it has that space when I studied hypnosis, I'd wake up in the middle of the night when we were practising on each other and I'd have a thought like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. And I didn't even know what I was answering, but it was going into that deeper part of my my psyche I suppose and your book has done that with me as I said I had that comment that thing about that you know what if you don't have it in you type thing and I woke up the next morning and thought because Sophia had just said something I think someone had said something or RJ had said something oh my god that's what I'm doing yes you know and I do have it in you yeah yes well it was really weird it's just like it was a it was a real had to be asked question in my head uh-huh. that I hadn't realized was there but your book does that my goodness uh, it, I I feel so honored of her, to receive that feedback thank you very much and fairly recently I got an email from a woman uh, who said that it became like her prayer in the morning she would fix a cup of tea and then she'd read a few pages and it was prayer like for her. So fascinating. I do do a lot of walking on the beaches and describing the beach scenes, the eagles, the herons. And that adds, I believe, to the mm. calming. Uh, there is a calmness to the prose and the, and the writing. And I had a great editor, I want to tell you that. <laughs> but I do write a blog every Friday for our work for the Center of the Power and D- Dynamic. David mainly edits, but I write most all of them. And mm. so that helped me to learn a rhythm of writing. Uh, so it does take practice. Uh, but I also wanted to share a little bit about the title. Because mm-hmm. as I wrote the theme, this big idea of resting and staying with your drama so that you can find the gift in it of what is it that I care about that's got me so reactive. And so as I got about two thirds of the way through the first manuscript and I I got so excited about that. I I decided the title was going to be Love Your Drama and, you know, love it. Just make friends with it. And so I had five people that are real close to me that were the first readers. Um, David was one, two or three of the trainers that that you know, and then my daughter, who I'm quite close to, and she's you know just turned 40. So she's in her early wise years, I, I would call it. And as I interviewed these five people and asked for feedback, I had a pretty structured interview process. And then the very last question was, what do you think of the title? And I was all attached to it. You know, believe me, I liked it. 
love your drama. I thought it was so cool. To a person, they said, ah, no, what is, what, nobody's going to get it. They think it's going to sound like it's some theater movie oh. drama. And then I came and I got, I had to put it away. I, I told my editor, I can't even think about all this feedback for at least two months. I'll call you in two months. And, uh, and then when I did, I was refreshed. And she said, don't even think about the title until you get all the way through and then read it one more time. Well, that happened. And my daughter sent me her manuscript with her written comments. And toward the end, where one of the characters says to another character, you know, I believe the larger question, Sophia, is who do you want to be on the way to what you want? And my daughter circled it and said, Mom, that is gold. Maybe that's the title. So Susan and I started going, well, I'm not even going to decide if that's the title or not because I had gotten so attached to the other. <laughs> but as I sat with it over the next few weeks, it felt very juicy. And I mean, isn't that a core existential question we all want to ask, no oh. matter what we're after? And we've been obsessed with goals and success. And now with the pandemic, I think we've had a global universal awakening. Is that really what's important to us, all this, these things? Or is it our relationships? And first and foremost, our relationship with ourselves. Who do we want to be? Whatever mm. it is we're going after. So it, that's the story of how the book got named. And really, it's what Sophia is about. Is we watch and listen her to her, her unfold from her wound and trauma as she goes through uh, the story. You can make a bumper sticker with it on it, but people would have to get too close behind you to be able to read all the words. <laughs> um, who do you want to be? <laughs> who do you want to be? <laughs> On the way yeah. to where you, what you want, um, yeah, it's definitely a, it's a mantra to me. I, I've since I've had it, I'll often look at the title where it's sitting in the house, sort of thing. Hmm. So today, who do you want to be? And it does. It makes you you, you sit and think. Yeah. Uh, so my mantra. Thank you for that. I'm really enjoying it. Oh yes. Your feedback. So my morning aunt mantra is: What do I choose today? What do I choose? Do I choose peace, joy, love, happiness? Do I choose that? No matter what's going on, you know, because again, we're always a choice and, and that's what I want to choose on how I want to be. Um, that's lovely. So they're related. Yeah, they are, aren't they? Yeah. That's amazing though, that you, as, as they say, the, the titles in the, in the text somewhere, isn't it? And even saying that's the larger question is, I think, oh, hold on, she just said it. What do you see your book's going to do for the, the coaching world or for mm -hmm. the readers in general? Mm -hmm. And, you know, I haven't gotten really attached that it has to do anything. Really a surprise, which was my transformation as I was writing it. I, there has been really lovely feedback on Amazon, for sure, where the, most of the uh, reviews are written. And it will be kind of core reading as I uh, teach and launch more coaching courses and certainly with our trainer community and, uh, you know, certainly enjoying conversations like this is it's a pivotal time in the history of the world. Mm. I think if, if we pause and ponder it all, I would say universally, we know your, your listeners know that we're at a global crossroads of who do we want to be as human beings. And that's going to answer what kind of policies are we going to have in our state departments, our governments? How are we going to relate to one another in our countries when there's a conflict? Who do we want to be is a foundational question, I think, for years to come because of this crossroads moment. And mm. we're not through the very, very difficult things we're facing. I think life is going to get faster, more and more challenges. And so for me, I'm in it for the long run of mm. uh, a story and teaching. And as you know, there's lots of tips and suggestions on how to be your best self through the yeah. whole dialogue of the book. Yeah. And even back into the other book too, the three vital questions about, you know, question number one about, you know, where are you putting your focus 
in relation to what you've just said there, but globally, I've started to really tune into so much more and asking that question. You're thinking, so I wonder what they're putting their focus on. Yes. Are they looking at what's underneath? Are they looking below that surface to see really what is the issue mm-hmm. that we could be resolving? Sophia asked that question many times during the dialogue, doesn't she? Yeah. yeah. It's absolutely core. If we don't know what our true focus is, and most of the time the default is we're focusing on what we don't want and don't like. The yeah. anxious, the, the heavier emotions in response to what we don't like. Mm. I was just wondering over the last few years, and I've asked this question to a few people because you know, the podcast actually started through COVID times, you know, what have you seen that's been a blessing that's come from the times that we've been through? Mm-hmm. The blessing is the accelerated global connections. For us right now, not to think twice about connecting uh, for this podcast, before the pandemic, we connected, you know, technology-wise, but not with the ongoing ease of which we do. The second thing that's been a blessing is because of that, the technology has made it so much easier uh, to accelerate this connections. And everything is about connection. Uh, As we connect personally, we're going to reduce the barriers and judgmentalness we have about people in other cultures and other situations that are different from ourselves. That's going to help us access the ability to see the oneness, to see the unity that Mm. we really have. So I think it's been a huge blessing. I got to tap into your classrooms overnight for a few nights there uh, throughout last year. And, yeah, the watching even you like, and David having to adapt in those two years was a big thing. And I think, um, yeah, the creativity and resourcefulness in the coaching, it was at the training course, your daughter went into labour on the first day and you're supposed to be sitting there being the coach, you know, and you're sort yeah. of, Popping in and out of the screen because you know, suddenly you had you know, young Charlie to take care I, of. I had her three-year-old because she was in the hospital. Yes. Oh, I remember that very well. Yeah. And I was just, you know, just observing, thinking, oh look, she's nearly got a serene face on all the time, and you know, Dave is trying to manage from his side. And yeah. I think, gosh, the stuff that people had to juggle that they would never have had to think to do before through those two years. It's just, to me, that was extraordinary how people stepped up to the plate and developed yes, and, new and how you had compassion for me. Oh, for sure. Before, yeah. that, before that, first of all, I would have cancelled and not even gotten on the airplane to go to the live session. You wouldn't have come to the U.S. most likely because of the expense and the time to go. And, and so seeing each other as human beings is just such a huge blessing uh, for yeah. us to see our unity rather than our differences. Yeah. And celebrating people's ability to adapt and be resourceful and creative. Yeah. The training ended with, a few days later, the birth of your other grandchild. Yes. I was like, oh, we're all in it together. It was just such a beautiful experience. To, it was. You Thank know. you for reminding me of that, yes. <laughs> it was just lovely. You know, that you had a, a screen full of trainers in training. I was like, yep, and she's just doing it, you know, Beneath the surface, is there other things that go on that you've had to deal with? And, you know, that that makes your heart heavy or is there anything else about what you've done in the last few years that have, you know, needed you to find some new level of you, of who you are Mm. or who you want to be? (laughs) Well, big question. You know, there's been a lot going on in in my life and I write about it in the introduction of the things that have gone on. I've I've had an adult son go through a mental health crisis and we've had alcoholism in our family and new grandbaby. Um, so, you know, and I've written a book. So, uh, and I also turned um, a major decade in my birthday, you know, so yes, there's been many things. And, and so the decision is each morning is what do I choose? And I choose joy. I choose happiness. And it's completely shifted the vibration of my inner state when I make that choice every morning. That's beautiful. So, and I didn't do that before the pandemic. So I would say, in reflection, it's been it's been that choice, um, knowing how I mean, my my next door neighbor, growing up, in a little small town, we were three months apart, and he died New Year's Eve from COVID, 
you know, and that really hit me hard, um, the passing, you know. Uh, so the pandemic for me has been monumental in choosing who do I want to be, choosing joy. We're coming to the end of our chat. Um, I was just going to ask you, you've said a morning mantra. Do you have anything that you apply when you try, you're going to push through a layer of fear and just do it anyway? What do you, what do you ever say to yourself to get yourself through that? Well, I remind myself that it's never as bad as I think it is. And that baby steps, I would say, I, I take baby steps very seriously. And what do I mean by a baby step is incremental learning. I really only need to identify the next step. Because I, I, this arrogance comes into play again, where we think we know how it's all going to turn out. Mm-hmm. And I, I've been in very much part of that. I'm a real doer. I get things done. I've had outward success in life. And the speed of life now and you know things that I just spoke to that have been difficult the last couple of years... I've learned that I really have no idea how things are going to turn out. But all, so all my responsibility, and this is, you know, really deep philosophy now, Susan, is what is the next best step? And that's all I need to know. Take it. Pause, adjust, access to my inner wisdom, and then I'll know the next step. And mm. it's a whole different way to live. Yes, that is that's a major shift for, gosh, I imagine many people wouldn't be able to consider doing that. Lovely. So what song, because this is on Spotify and Apple, what song is your favourite sing-out-loud song in the car? Yes. yes. So this one I have gotten very attached to. I listen to it almost daily. It's an Australian singer, Trevor Hall, and it's Put Down What You're Carrying. Oh. And it's got a great beat, Put Down What You're Carrying. And it's part of the whole learning, the work that I'm doing is put down anything that you're carrying and lighten the load. That's mm. it's really a favorite right now. That is a nice way to end, isn't it? So I'm going to thank you now, Donna, for coming and talking. And that was an absolute pleasure. Like there's so much we could have spoken about. But what we did speak about, you know, it resonated a lot with me and said you had me thinking and I'm sure it's going to have the listeners thinking. So I really appreciate your time and yeah, thanks again for coming on. Thank you, Susan. And thank you for those that listened and uh, blessings to you all for a good life and choosing joy, choosing who do you want to be on the way to what you want. And might might say also, um, I do write a blog that's uh, at our Center for the Empowerment Dynamic website. You could sign up for and love to hear from you. Okay, well, I'll, um, I'll provide the link to that, Donna, in the, the episode. So I'll have the, the little blurb there. I'll put some details down there for people to click through to, okay? All right. Wonderful. Okay. okay. So I'm Susan Dunlop. I'm very humbled to have the opportunity to work and grow with a community of trainers and coaches that I do with at the Centre for the Empowerment Dynamic and here in Australia. I was once a founder and CEO of a small to large healthcare organisation, so I know what it feels like to have that dream to become the startup, to go through the hurdles that we have to go through to make our vision for our businesses uh, become reality. When I exited stage right for me, after 16 years and through acquisition by a national competitor, I decided that what I would do is take all that I learned in life and in that constant and never-ending journey of education I had as being a leader of a business to take it to help transform other leaders, teams and companies. Leaders too, I mean, in terms of we are all leaders in all the roles we play in life and we have that opportunity to choose how we show up every day. What I do is I combine my coaching and with a variety of modalities, including there's an e-learning training program, there's workshops, retreats, mastermind groups, and I personalise it to suit each client's needs. You have outcomes that you want to work towards and the work that I do is that vehicle to help you get there as I co-create that vision with you. Please don't hesitate to reach out if you'd like to take a course in the three vital questions with me or for personal or professional coaching, or even if you'd like to come share your story on the podcast show, I'd be only too happy to have a chat about any of those with you. 
thank you. I'll be back soon. I have two more interesting guests waiting in the wings to speak to and they'll be up in a few weeks. Bye for now.